Amen. Well, it's good to be with everybody. If you're here for the first time, uh, we are on the last sermon in a series we've been doing out of Malachi. And isn't it amazing, guys? We actually have done a sermon series out of a minor prophet. You can now say to people, yes, we know about the minor prophets. I don't know how nice it would have been around those, been around those minor prophets, but we know about those minor prophets. Um, but we know that uh, in this book, uh, God has been really speaking. And, uh, and as you heard a few weeks ago, um, what might really be happening here is because it's about conversations is that it's really not Malachi, it's Malachi, the Italian prophet. Well, I shared that with you a couple weeks ago. But the spelling of this is not Malachi, it's Malachi. So there's something going on there. Anyway, um, it is Malachi, and he is a Jewish prophet. And this book is a little bit different because it's uh, really a book of conversations. It's a book where God is conversing with his people, and they're actually responding back. And some of it is them actually responding, and some of it is God revealing what's in their hearts, and he's basically saying, this is what's in your hearts, and this is what you're saying. And it's a good reminder for all of us that all of our lives are lived out before God. I think sometimes we can forget that. But that everything we do, every word we speak, every action we take is before the God of the universe, and he knows it all. That's what this book has been saying. God knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in our hearts. And a lot of what he is doing in this is exposing a heart of people who are complaining about God and not talking to God about their problems. They're complaining about God to one another. And uh, so as they're speaking to one another and they're speaking their hearts about God, these conversations are fueled by bitterness and disappointment and anger and impatience, and they're self-serving in the things that they're looking at. Uh, these hearts are shaped by faulty assumptions of God. They're founded on their own experiences and feelings, their own emotions, and they're not founded on the word and promises of God. They've moved away from that. And so God is responding to these things and speaking into that, bringing warning. And that's what we've been seeing over the last number of weeks is God revealing that heart and then bringing warning, bringing encouragement, bringing promise. And now we're going to end and pick up the last of these conversations. And we're going to be doing that in chapter 3, verses 13 to chapter 4, verses 6. And let me read them to you. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Shh. 
surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The word of God. Pretty powerful word, pretty graphic. I would say, don't you think? But let's look at it, and let's look at it as the conversation goes forward. So the first thing we're going to be looking at is what's been going on, is this complaining about God. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 15. Let me read them again. So you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, and certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So in this conversation, God's actually summarizing, really, in essence, what all the conversations have been about and what they've been leading to, this idea that God is not really holding up his end of the bargain. You see, the words spoken, they're spoken by an embittered people who no longer see profit in serving the Lord. And they begin speaking among themselves and with others and also in their own hearts. And this was clear in their conversations and the way they were living their lives, as we've seen throughout the way that they were going about mourning when it was just an act, uh, the way they... They took marriage and they destroyed the marriage covenant and uh, went out and married women from other gods. That They held back uh, all that God had given them from uh, their offerings and tithes. As Josh was talking about last week, their, their fist was closed rather than opened up. And we see that. And, and it's because they've been looking at the world around them as they've come out of exile and where they thought all was going to be Glory, and they were going to be restored to their past glory, and God's promises were all going to be fulfilled in you know, the next 15 minutes. And what they really do is they begin to see people without any faith, any regard for God, and all these people seem to be prospering and enjoying life. And in their mind, these are the people, they put God to the test. They don't even believe in God and are doing all these things that God truly doesn't have in his commandments in a way that he's calling people to live, and yet they're suffering no consequences. And they're prospering while we're still in poverty, while we're living in hard circumstances, while we're still under an oppressive government, and God has not fulfilled his promises to us. And so their hearts go, it's no longer worth it to serve God. What's the point? Why would we serve God? He's not holding up the end of the deal. He's not holding up his end. Have you ever thought that way? 
maybe some of us are actually thinking this way right now. I know there have been times in my life when I'm like, wait a second, God. I don't think this is what I signed up for. I thought you were going to be bringing more blessing. How could you make that happen? How could you do this? Why is this going on? What kind of timing is happening in the midst of all this? And my heart begins to do what? It begins to move away from God. And this type of thinking reveals a heart that at root believes God owes me. God owes me. I've come to God. I've laid my life down for God. I'm trying to follow God. He owes me. He owes me a good career. He owes me a good house. He owes me a good family where all my kids do well. He owes me parents who love me so much they're going to give me anything I want. He owes me. And rather than saying, thank you for salvation, we add a but to it and say, what have you done for me lately, Lord? What have you done for me lately? And so it's a heart that's not walking by faith, believing the promises, approaching relationships with God. It's, it's looking at God as consumers. That's what it is. And we live in a culture where consumerism is so blatant, we can fall into the quicksand of that and treat God in the same way as consumers. We see that, right? You know, you talk with people about churches and everything. Well, that church doesn't have this, but this church has that. And this church doesn't have that, but this church has that. And we even approach like going to church as consumers. But maybe we go even a little bit deeper and we begin to approach our relationship with God as consumers. I'm getting the short end of this deal. And there's, at the moment, nothing in this for me. Nothing in this for us. What's the point? And if I begin moving in that mindset, and I know I have, and I know the first thing it produces for me is cynicism. And then, then it moves on to bitterness and apathy. And this begins to lead to conversations among one another, complaining about God. Whether it's in my own heart or it's one, us talking, yeah, you know, God allowed this to happen. He's doing this. And it becomes complaining about God. And we sort of begin doing that amongst one another, and it begins to be a reinforcing loop. And what happens is, is that we begin to go through the motions. We come to Sunday, but we're going through the motions. What's happening on Monday morning? We might go to a prayer meeting, but what's happening when I step out the door? And we're falling into sort of a formalism rather than a heart that really worships God and is living for and with God. And as you begin thinking like this, it turns into hard-heartedness. And that hard-heartedness impacts all the areas of our lives. That's sort of this idea, the complaining about God. It's the faithless. That's what it moves towards. And God has been speaking into this. He's been responding to it. He's been challenging. He's been encouraging. He's been laying out his promises. He's been doing warnings. And he's going to do that again. But... In this conversation, there's, there's something that's a little different. For the first time, there's new voices in the conversation. There's, there's a new voice. Let me read verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. 
See this? There's, there's these new voices. At the same time that this other complaining is going on, this complaining about God, there's another conversation going on among a group who feared the Lord. That idea of fear, if you, if you remember what it really means, it means holding the Lord in awe, seeing his holiness and being inspired by that. This idea of fearing the Lord. And, and for the first time, a different group has been mentioned in Malachi. It's the first time, in, and I believe this group is a group that has responded to Malachi's words over the years, and this is a group of people who actually were led to repentance. That they actually repented as they were called out on that. And so this group is not seeing things the way the faithless group sees them. They're not blind to the situation, but they have a different way of interpreting the way things are at the moment. They're not responding out of their experience or their emotions only. They have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And even though they don't have all the answers to why the wicked are prospering, why things aren't going the way they thought, while God's promises seem to be delayed or not happening, they are at this point remembering God and speaking about him with faith and trust in his promises. And here's what it says. God puts their names in a book of remembrance. He's reminding his people that those who are living by faith, he will not forget them on the day that he comes, on the day of the Lord. And it's interesting, when you read through the Old Testament and New Testament, you'll see this. You'll see in Daniel 12, a book of remembrance. You'll see in Revelation, the book of life, where people's names, those who are going into heaven. Their names are written in this book of life. So God is saying, I've, I've written you in my book of remembrance. I remember you and will remember you on the day that I come again because you are living in faith even in the hard circumstances of life. And now God really goes into, this is his final response to both of these conversations let me read, starting in verse 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as the Father has compassion and spares his Son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. And then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. I'm going to end there. God interrupts both conversations with words of reassurance, grace, warning, and promise. If you're filling out your outlines, kids, reassurance, grace, warning, and promise. Words pointing to what God is going to do in the future, which is made clear by Malachi's words. What's he say? The day, the day of the Lord, the day that is coming. And what's he speaking of 
is the day when Jesus returns as king and judge. What is often called judgment day. Now, this isn't a Terminator movie, although they can be pretty graphic. This is judgment day. I know nobody really likes to hear that word anymore in our culture. It's funny how we want justice, but then we hold God and say, well, God, you can't be a God of justice. Isn't that strange? We're made in God's image. We're his image bearers. And certainly our hearts want justice. And yet when God says, I'm coming and I'm going to bring final justice, we don't like the fact that God's going to do that because it involves us also. But there is a judgment day because God is a God of love and a God of justice. But here's what he does first. The first thing are words of reassurance for those who are living in faith right now. People who continue to remain faithful in the midst of hard circumstances and the brokenness and evil of the world. Those who talk with one another about the truth of God's words and promises. Isn't that what we've been doing? Why do we do a faith and sexuality sermon series? Because we want to talk about those things out of the truth of God's word so we can actually talk sanity to one another. So we can actually interact out of God's promises and his word and his truth. So that when we're speaking to one another, we're actually encouraging one another to live by faith and not by sight. And in this culture, we need this again and again and again, do we not? And he says, as you are walking this way, let me reassure you, you are my treasured possessions. <laughs> that word there actually means jewels. You are my jewels. You are so precious to me that you are my jewels. And in time of suffering and doubt and discouragement, we may not feel like this treasure possessions, right? But our feelings don't change the fact that God's truth is greater than our feelings. Amen? We got to get that. God's truth is greater than our feelings. There is a day coming when God will make clear the distinction between the faithless and the faithful. That's his day. That isn't our day. Our day right now is to love in the same way Jesus loves. Not to judge, not to seek vengeance. That will be God's job. So he brings reassurance. And he says, if you're living by faith right now in the midst of all that's going on, know that you're my treasure possession. You're my jewels. I love you. You are with you. But then there's a word of warning to the faithless. Judgment day. If you want to put that picture up. Just what is the day of the Lord? Why do I like this picture? I like it because it's actually showing you the idea that He's coming as a thief in the night. Isn't that what the word tells us? All of life is going to be going on. People, as it said during the days of the flood, they're going to be living their lives out. Everything's going to be happening. And then as a thief in the night, he's going to come. We don't know the day or the time, but he's going to come. And when he comes, he's coming as the king and he's coming as the judge and he's coming as the fire. All that description there about fire. Remember that in chapter 3, we talked about the fact that 
he brought a refiner's fire. What was that refiner's fire for us right now? What it is, it, it moves in our hearts to bring up all the things, all the sin and rebellion in us that are keeping us from a deeper relationship with him so that that refiner, refiner's fire is making our faith, which is more precious than gold, deeper and stronger. But now, the fire he's coming with on the last day, uh-uh. That fire is to expose the heart of every woman, man, and child on the face of the earth who are living and have lived. That's a pretty interesting and sobering thought, isn't it? And it's the day all those who live by faith and all those who did not will have their time before the Lord. Matthew 25, Jesus speaks about this a little bit. I'm just going to read a couple of the verses to you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come you who are blessed by my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I'm going to end it there. Just get that picture. Jesus is coming. He's going to divide the faithless from the faithful. He's going to bring those home. There will be no more chances. And here's the thing I think we all need to recognize is judgment day for each one of us is the day that we die. Because the day that we die, when we face the Lord, we face him with our hearts the way they are. And are we faithless or faithful? This is, this is what he's bringing to mind and to heart as he's talking about this. And here's the thing. This description of the final destiny of those who are pridefully saying in their hearts, what does it profit to serve God? It's hard to wrap your mind around it. There's so many metaphors about this. And people try to get into each one of these metaphors and say this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But the reality is, is that however it's going to look, it's not good. It's separation from God. You know, you want to go talk about total destruction or this, that, and the other thing, go ahead. Why waste your time on that? What a wasteless exercise. What about our own hearts before God? He's saying that to us. And here's the thing. He's not only saying it to people sort of outside the covenant family, those who were the Gentiles in those days, who would be the non-believer in our day, but he's also saying it to people in the covenant family. The people who sort of gone through the motions but their hearts grown hard and cold, and they're not even seeing it at this point. And Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 7, 21 to 27. And I need to read this because I think it's a sober but loving warning to us who are in the covenant family. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons 
And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice as like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Take these words seriously. It says very clearly that the way we are people who know in our hearts that we are with God is that the word of God leads us, guides us, is precious to us, It's like gold, it's like sweet as honey. It's the word that moves us, shapes us, keeps us. And that's how we know. Oh, we're going to struggle, but there's repentance. We're going to need help, and there's the body of Christ. You see? He's left us everything we need in Jesus Christ. And so he moves from this warning, which is a very strong warning, and we should... We should all be looking at this warning. But he moves from that now to a word of promise to the faithful. And he says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You can put that picture up. I love this icon. This is is from like the early church fathers. But I love the way they represent the son of righteousness. It starts with the cross and then sort of this circle which represents the resurrection of Christ, and now the sun rising, and these beams of light and sort of resurrection power going out. This is sort of this idea of the sun of righteousness. And um, that's what he says. The sun of righteousness will be raised up. (laughs) Uh, For us here, navigating this world by faith and are confronted by the troubling realities of evil, the weariness of carrying the burden of our own sin and the sin of others, suffering under the weight of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Hear it. A son is rising. Hallelujah. That's the promise. A son is rising. Light where there was darkness. We've seen that in Christ's coming, but we're going to see it even more in his second advent when he comes. He is the anchor of truth. He brings sense and sanity into the insanity of this world and he will bring a new heaven and a new earth which will be completely sane. Amen? Amen. The sun is rising. He has beams of righteousness. He makes things right. He makes right all the wrongs people have suffered. We no longer carry the burden of shame and revenge. No longer. He brings salvation that we experience right now, which is a taste, but then he brings glory. Hallelujah. And with that glory are wings of healing. He will heal every disease in the resurrection. He'll meet the deepest need we all have of hope beyond the grave. And there all sickness and pain and sorrow and crying will be gone. And we will break out of a stall like young calves leaping. I love that. I'm not a farmer. I'm a city boy. 
But when I read about this, it got me excited. Because, you know, they're locked up all night long. And they got all this energy, and they want to get out. And in the morning, they let them out, and they start jumping all over the place. Well, that's this idea of what's going on. We experience the freedom of being who we truly are. And this brings great joy and delight. I love when the scripture says you will go out with joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills will break forth before you. What a picture. What a picture. The son of righteousness is rising up for the faithful, for those in the struggle. Amen to that. Listen to what Spurgeon says. Let faith and patience have their perfect work. In the day when the crown will be set on the head of the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, one ray of glory will scream from you. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And on that day, I make them my jewels. The end thing is better than its beginning. I love that. The end is better than the beginning. Brothers and sisters, the end of faith is better than the beginning. I'm going to say it again. Say it to yourself every morning when you wake up. The end of faith is better than the beginning. It's better than what I'm going through right now because the sun of righteousness is rising with healing in his wings. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so he leaves us with this word, and I love it. It's, it's a great word for us. Remember. 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 Listen to verses 4 through 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And, and here it is at the very end, last book of the Old Testament, and here's the bridge between the Old and the New Testament. What God has done in the past and what he's going to do in the future. Jesus tells us that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Revelation 11 tells us that the two witnesses are going to, before that day, are going to come and they're going to extend mercy by calling people to repentance. Isn't that what John the Baptist did? And the main point that God is pursuing or that's being made in this particular piece of scripture that Malachi is talking about is that God continues to pursue us to the day he comes back. He continues to extend mercy to anyone. If you're here right now and you see yourself in the faithless rather than the faithful, he's extending mercy to you right now. He's calling you to come. Lay your heart before him. Complain to him rather than about him today. And see how that goes. Because that's what he's doing. So we know in the days before Jesus' arrival, John the Baptist did the same thing. What did he do? He preached repentance. He was calling people back. And he was calling them back. And even now, to this day, we're being called back to turn our hearts back to our Father in heaven. 
that when we turn our hearts back to him, we become the children who turn their hearts to him as he turns his hearts to us. And then we receive a new heart that will impact all of our relationships. Children to their parents, parents to their children's husbands and wives to one another, family members to family members, neighbors to neighbors, all hearts will be impacted by that. So remember, remember that we're delivered from destruction because of Jesus. Remember by going back again and again to the word of God. In the Old and New Testament, seeing the pursuing covenantal love, promises, and mercy of God as they are yes and amen in Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit illuminate and inspire this memory to have power in our lives. Here, stop with nostalgia. Do this for memory. I love nostalgia. I went with my kids yesterday, my grandkids yesterday to see Wakanda forever. Great movie. Great movie. I don't know. Some of you may not like the uh, comics, but I will tell you that for my whole life, I can look back and say, I loved comics. I can get carried away with that, or I can get carried away with the Word of God. I can get carried away in remembering what God has done for me. Memory is a powerful thing, and it inspires, and we're called to remember, to remember. Listen, it's good to remember warnings of judgment, because if we remember warnings of judgment, in that warning, see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. In that warning, see Jesus weeping over you and saying, I've called you to peace. Why are you rejecting it? I've called you to believe and to trust. I'm calling you now. These are powerful words. Powerful words. Let's remember. And so as application, out of looking at this whole book, just thinking about it, I guess the question is, what conversations are we currently having about God? And maybe you're engaged in a conversation about God with yourself. And you have a particular narrative. And I'm going to ask, and you need to ask, are my conclusions based on what I only experience and feel? We need to ask ourselves that question. Or are they encouraged? And we need to encourage one another to let God interrupt that conversation by hearing from his word. Let the word reach down and shape our narratives and give us a new perspective and life to the narrative itself. Let's talk to one another and encourage one another to trust and believe. God is with us in the brokenness. And we can wait expectantly for the son of righteousness to rise. Amen? What kind of conversation are we having in our own hearts with one another about God and about our life? And what kind of narrative do I have about my life? Are you a victim right now? 
Are you having a pity party? Are you looking at the holidays coming up and, wow, just not going to be the way I want it to be? And yet there's Jesus. Remember. Remember. But the memory of who he is, what he has done, what he's doing now, what he's going to do, inspire you. Maybe it's time for my narrative to change. We go into the Advent season right now. And that's what the Advent season is all about. It's to remember. It's to remember. It's to remember the promises, the prophecies. It's to remember that God is faithful, that everyone is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Remember. Let's use the Advent season to ask God to help us to be a people who remembers and to have the narrative of our stories changed and shaped by the promises and word of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. It's, it's an appropriate time right now to come to the table together. Because what does this table say for us? Remember. This table saying, remember. It's one of the great things that Jesus has done for us. He's given us ways that we can remember. And one of them is having this Lord's meal together. It's a way for us to remember. Remember God in his love sent Jesus to rescue us, to save us, to bring reconciliation and forgiveness, to come and live in the flesh, to humble himself, to show us how to live before God and in dependence to God so that we might ourselves, as we come and humble ourselves, no, that in that sacrifice, there is redemption, that our souls have been purchased. When we believe, the blood covers us and there's forgiveness. Remember this. Remember that I am loved. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm now called the child of God. I now have an inheritance and a future where the sun is rising. Hallelujah. Remember it. What do you do in the morning when you get up? Remind yourself of these things. The world's going to remind you of everything it wants on its platter. It's coming at you 24-7. Why would I not take a few moments and remind myself of these wonderful truths that are real? And then we come in the present. We're alive in the Holy Spirit. And even in this moment, the Spirit is saying, yes, yes, my soul needs to remember. I need to come. I need to bring my heart before God. There is repentance needed before I come to this meal. And I'm going to do that because guess what? Because of Christ, he is faithful to forgive when I confess. And there's nothing he doesn't forgive. If you're in here right now and you're going to not come to communion and you're a person of faith, don't let Satan have the victory right now because there is a time to come and ask for forgiveness. And it doesn't matter if you sin that sin once, 15 times, 
150 times. It doesn't matter. Every time you come to him and ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. And there's no sin that's unforgivable. Remember that Paul was a murderer and he became the greatest apostle because he was forgiven. Do not let Satan have victory in this. I will say to you, though, this meal is a meal of faith. If you're someone here today and you still see yourself in the faithless rather than the faithful, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, then he wants you right now. He's speaking to you right now and saying, in this time when people are receiving communion, receive me. Receive me as your Savior. Humble yourself and come and ask for forgiveness. And then join the family the next time in communion. But come. He's calling to you right now. And then this meal tells us, remember. Remember. The end is better than the beginning. The end is better than the beginning. And I am coming again as the son of righteousness with healing in my wings. Hallelujah. Let's come to the table this morning. Take a few moments before the Lord. Bring your heart to him. And then we'll have communion together.